Amen. You can be seated. I agree. I agree. That doesn't get your fire going, your wood's wet. I have to say, I am in, I am so, I don't know what word to use. The word, the word proud comes to mind, uh, but in a good way. I'm just so impressed that on um, a daylight saving time morning like this, that we have not only such a good crowd, but such a good crowd that really worshiped our Savior. That was just extremely exciting. If you have your worship folder with you um, in it, maybe you grabbed one on the way in, there's an outline to follow along with, and I would suggest um, taking notes just because we remember more of what we write down. Um, so there's a couple things in there. These have nothing to do with you. This is for later. Don't let me forget this. And if I forget it, I'm blaming all of you. We are in, we're in part three of a series. I'm going to move this just a little. I feel like I'm swinging around and I might hit something. We're, we're in, we're in part three of a series. And we're just, ha- we're, we're having some fun with the launching part of the series. Um, as you see the, the Stranger People thing, if you've seen the series um, Stranger Things, um, that I actually had a video clip I was going to play today, and I changed my mind at the last moment. And I know that might disappoint some of you, but uh, we're just going to we're going to skip that today. But there's a um, that the idea is that we're in a, a very strange, dark, upside down, <laughs> twisted world. And the interesting thing is, we're the ones who look stranger. And in a way, that's a good thing. We talked about that the last few weeks. Today, we're talking about the fact that we have a strange uh, a strange calling in this dark world, in this upside-down, twisted world. We have a strange calling. As I've prepared for this, one of the things I've done, that I always do, is, is I, I read through the passage like over and over and over and over, and, and just on a daily basis, and I can't even count the number of times I've read First Peter over in the last three or four weeks. But it's interesting because as you read First Peter, one of the words that he uses over and over again, he uses it quite a few times, is the word call, or calling, or called. And it's a, it's a big deal in his book, First um, Peter, writing to these Christians who are being persecuted by the, remember we talked about the crazy Emperor Nero and, and all the weird things that were happening. But he's telling these people, and, and by extension he's telling us, that you have a calling, you're called. And one of the things that a calling does, when you, when you have a calling placed on your life and you're called, um, it, it, it emboldens you. It, it kind of encourages you to be able to accomplish that. It, it, it empowers you. I re- I'm called, and I remember the first time. I remember getting that calling. I remember I was in the fifth grade. Going up to the fifth grade, I had lived in Sheffield Lake, Ohio. Um, you've never heard of it. You have no reason to hear of it. You probably never, ever want to go through it, ever. But I lived there for four years, and due to some bad decisions, not on my part, I was fourth grade, due to some bad decisions, we had to move, and we moved to Lorraine, Ohio, um, in fifth grade. I didn't know we were only going to be there one year, but um, we're moving there. I'm in the fifth grade, and it was like in my little fourth going into fifth grade brain, I'm thinking, fresh start, because things hadn't worked super well for me. Um, you may or may not know this about me. I'm kind of an introvert, not kind of an introvert. I'm an introvert. Um, struggle uh, at times with depression. Don't always. It's not. I'm not like the outgoing people person. 
God has given me a love for people, which is why I can interact with people. But I remember going into fifth grade thinking, we're going to change things. And I did something that, as, as that type of person going into fifth grade, was not, um, it was not on my list. Um, I made an application for something that if you had, this was entrenched by the time you get to the fifth grade. All the, the roles had been filled. I decided I wanted to be a crossing guard. <laughs> and I stepped out of my box, and I, I, I turned in this thing to the principal, and I remember over the loudspeaker them calling Tim Adams down to the office. That wasn't unusual. It happened often <laughs> for various reasons and would happen many more times after that. But I got the call. And they said, we would love to have you be a crossing guard. And I even got to be a crossing guard on like, and I, it was like the most dangerous intersection near the school in Lorraine. I'm not kidding. I am responsible for saving hundreds of lives <laughs> that year because of that calling. And you know what that calling did to me? It emboldened me. It empowered me. And that, along with the, the thing that you, you put the belt around that has the thing that goes up here with the badge on it, that was just pretty cool, standing there. And I had power. I could stop cars, most of them. But I could stop cars. That was my first experience with literally, I was called, and it changed me. Well, in Peter, there's no crossing guards. But in Peter, there are, there are three different kinds of callings. And these are very important. These are on your notes. But these callings are, are, we need to understand these. The first one is an eternal one. It's an eternal call to Christ. Now, when I say eternal, um, I have to qualify that because it's not that, this, it's not that the call will last forever. Like, for instance, if the, if the principal would have said, Tim Adams, come to the office, and I didn't, the call, he wouldn't have done that every day. It would have been done. The eternal call, it's an eternal call to Christ in the sense that once you accept that call, once you accept him calling you to himself, that's eternal. I have a relationship with Jesus that nothing can take away. Nothing can separate me from his love. Nothing can take me out of his hand. And that's the eternal part of the call. And, and Peter, who's writing this book, is very familiar with this. He's familiar with being called. You remember Peter was the, the rough, tough fisherman guy. And he's got done fishing one day, and, and I love the way it says this in the Gospels. It talks about when Peter was called, and it says, Jesus just like happened to be walking down the beach. And it's like, he didn't just happen to be walking down the beach. He knew exactly what he was doing. But as he's walking down the beach, there's Peter. It happened to be with his brother, and they're fishing. And, and Jesus looks at Peter, and he says, Peter, follow me. He gave Peter a calling, and he said, follow me, and you won't fish for fish anymore. Well, he'll still fish for fish, but you won't just fish for fish. He said, you'll, you'll fish for people. And, and as a result of Peter accepting that calling, I was going to say millions, billions of people know Jesus today because he accepted that calling. And Peter was like one of the most unlikely guys to accept this calling or to feel like he should be called. And maybe today that's what you're thinking. You're thinking, yeah, that's cool that he called Peter. That's Peter, you know, but he wouldn't call me. He is calling you if you don't know him. There is a call to Christ. And it's an eternal call in the sense that when you accept his call, 
Nothing can ever take that away. But it's not eternal in the sense that there will come a day when the call ends. When you die, it's, there is no second chance. You don't stand before him and say, okay, he says, I'm going to give you one more chance. What do you think? It doesn't work that way. We sang, at some point, every knee will bow. The Bible says that. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everybody will do that. Some will do it out of incredible gratitude because we've spent our lives following him. And we see him and we bow before him. Some will bow before him having rejected him in this life. And it will be too late because the call to salvation is over. But they will recognize who Jesus is. And what I want is I want you to do that now before it's too late. So the first calling is an eternal call to Christ that Peter talks about. The second calling is a temporary call to an assignment. Now, um, you might be thinking like the crossing guard thing. And that's a perfect example of that. It's, that's a temporary call. I understand that I was only called to do that one year. We moved back to Sheffield Lake the next year. And I wasn't a crossing guard anymore. I really wanted to take the thing with the badge and everything, but I knew that that wasn't good and the right thing to do. Um, and so I understand that was a temporary call for me. Having said that, if I see you not stopping at a crosswalk when there's a kid there, I might just forget that it's a temporary calling and call you out on it. I may or may not have my whistle in my pocket still. <laughs> Here's the thing. I don't know what your assignment is. God is calling. If you have accepted the first call, that eternal call to Christ, there is a temporary call to an assignment for you. And I'm not, I don't know what that is. It can be even just at Journey North Church, it can be a hundred different things. But I know this. If you accepted the first call, there is the second call. That's not like for some people. That's for everybody who has accepted the first call and claimed the name of Jesus. There is a temporary call to an assignment. But then there's a third call that he talks about. And that is a daily call to a strange standard. And that's for all of us. And it's not, it, it's not something that that's just for today. It's just temporary. It's daily in the sense that every single day, this is what we're called to do. So... What you, you might be thinking, what am I called to do? Maybe some of you know what you're called to do. You say, well, you're called, you're a pastor. You know what? Everybody's called. That's what we're going to talk about today. That's what Peter talked about here. So you might be thinking, what, what am I called to do? Before you jump into that and think of what you're called to do, here's what I need you to hear. And maybe for some of you, this is the thing that God brought you here to hear today. God will call you to a who before a do. You know, I sound like Dr. Seuss. <laughs> who before do think, think that's, that's the, the scriptural lineup who before do I'm gonna, Julie says this all the time I absolutely love it when you know who you are you'll know what to do when you know who you are you'll know what to do like for instance if you're driving in a car and somebody cuts you off somebody does something really stupid there are a number of options Sign language is one of the options. <laughs> There's a lot of things that you can do. You can roll down your window and yell and scream. And, and you can think, there are a number of things that I could do. I think the same way. We're in the same boat here. But I know who I am. I'm Tim, Adam, but I'm the pastor of Journey North Church. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm somebody who's trying to share his love with the world. And when I know who I am... 
what I do will be a lot easier to determine. Because when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. And in many cases, you'll know what not to do when you know who you are. So he's writing to people. Remember, Peter's writing to people who are Christians who are being intensely persecuted. And the kind of persecution that's happening in, in countries right now around the world, and it just it boggles my mind that this is not headline news every day on every major network, that Christians are being persecuted every single day. Tens of thousands of Christians are suffering as we speak for no other reason other than the fact that they're Christians. So they were persecuted, these people that Peter was writing to. They were also extremely misunderstood. We forget that back, you know, like now, people will persecute Christians now. People will talk about Christians. People will make fun of Christians. But everybody kind of has an idea of Christian. When Peter was writing this, this was brand new. The people who were persecuting them, many of them had not even heard of Christ. They would not even heard of what a Christian was. They just thought, these people are strange. And they were very misunderstood. They actually looked at them as superstitious, incestuous cannibals. That's what they looked at the Christians like. And you say, why would you say that? Well, first of all, they talked all the time about miracles because God was doing miracles in their midst. And these, these, these miracles, these people looked at it like, this is like magicians, and okay, their head magician is like Jesus. And they looked at them as very superstitious because of that. And they had these things they called, uh, we, we celebrate um, communion, the Lord's table. And, and when we do that, we come together and we share the bread and the cup. They did that uh, differently back then. They, they, that part of it was the same. But one of the things they did is they met together and they had a meal together, a common meal together on a regular basis, and they called it an agape feast. Agape is the word for love. And it's the kind of love that God has for us that we're supposed to have for him and for others. And so literally, these agape meetings were called love feasts. And the people in the towns where these Christians lived, they had love feasts. But they were way different kinds of love feasts. And so the Christians would say, we're going to our love feast, and we're going with our brothers and sisters. And these people would go, what? And they'd look at that because they didn't get it. They didn't understand what they meant when they said brothers and sisters. And so they see them as superstitious, incestuous cannibals because they keep quoting this Jesus who says, take and eat my body. And they did not understand. And in the midst of being completely misunderstood, they're being persecuted intensely. And Peter wants to tell them, in light of what's happening, here's what you should do. But before the do comes the who. And so he's going to tell them who they are. And we're going to start in verse 9 of chapter 2. And it says this. He's, he, he gets done. We talked last week about being holy. And he actually starts this verse talking about the fact that uh, there are people who have chosen to disobey. And they're, the, what they're suffering, they're suffering because that's the natural consequences of choosing to disobey God and not follow him. There are certain things that just happen. And he says, but that's not you. He says in verse 9, for you, you are a chosen people. And I want to explain a few of these things because it would be easy to read over this and miss it. When we hear chosen people, most people who are familiar with kind of the Bible and the story and that time era would think, 
Um, he's talking about Jewish people. You're chosen people. That's not at all what he's talking about. Because this book was written to Christians. Christians who some were Jewish, some were not Jewish. And it had nothing to do with that. It's interesting, the word, the word people, the word literally is, it's, it, it's family. It's, it's your family. And I, and I actually, I just discovered this morning, I was reading this uh, in, in my, my time with the Lord, and, and I had never seen this before. Um, I have, uh, my taste in music is different. I, I, I tell people my taste in music is eclectic. And that means I've kind of selected from all different kinds of genres. And I like different, there's certain things that like I don't like and I never will. But I like a wide variety of music. And, and people would say you have an eclectic taste in music. You select it from various styles. The word chosen, it literally is the word eclectic. Eclectus. It's where we get the word eclectic. And what he's saying is you are uh, a, a select family. I've chosen you out from all different kinds of walks of life and backgrounds and, and histories. And yeah, that looks strange to the world, but it looks amazingly beautiful to God when he sees the variety and the difference. And he said, that's what he means when he says, you're a chosen people. You're this select family. And he says next, you are royal priests. Now to us, that's kind of like, that's weird. But to them, the 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 whole priesthood thing was a very big deal. It, it wasn't in Christianity, but it was a very big deal, not only in the Jewish religion, but in the pagan religions, and that, that status of the priest was very high. And he says, you all, he says, you are royal priests. You're part of a royal priesthood, not, not even just the lower ones. You're this chosen people, this, this select family. You're royal priests, and he says, you are a holy nation. Now, when he says that, I don't want you to think again. I don't want you to think nation of Israel. I want you to kind of keep that word um, in, your, in your head. The word nation, um, it, it's, it's the word where we get the word ethnic from. But it, it's not just about race. What it's about is um, people who are joined together because they have similar customs or common culture. There's something that binds them together. I want you to keep that in mind. You can even circle the word nation there because that's going to come into play in a little bit. So he says, you're a chosen people, royal priests, a holy nation. You are God's very own possession. That, to me, when I read that, it's like there are many times in my life, especially growing up, that I didn't feel like, like, like I was important at all. And for me to have heard that you are God's own possession, that's how much he loves you can change who you are and what you do. And he says this, it should change you. As a result, here's what you can do, knowing that's true about you. You are this eclectic family who is chosen by God. You are royal priests. You are a holy nation. God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. That's what we're made to do, to show others. For he called you. And I want you to understand, when Peter says that, God's talking to you. He called you. He called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. 
And maybe you haven't accepted that first call yet, that eternal call to Christ, and you, and you don't even know it, but you're still in that darkness. You're missing so much of what life is all about. And once we accept that call, once we start showing others this goodness that results from that call, then we, being called out of darkness to light, can show others that. He's telling, he's telling them, this is not about your past. It's not about what you're suffering now. It's not about what you were. He says, you're a new creation. You are redeemed. You are set free. And when we think today of how other people, especially in Western Christianity in America, most people don't think of us as superstitious, incestuous cannibals anymore. But many do think of us as self-righteous, judgmental, arrogant, intolerant bigots. You know what the problem is? There are many so-called Christians who have unfortunately earned those titles. We see it, we see it in the news. And I think that as far as I'm concerned, those are people who are empowered by Satan to make the name of Jesus look bad. And they don't even know it. Because that's not who we are as Christians. That's not who we are supposed to be as Christians. Peter is writing to, to suffering and despised Christians. And he's calling them, he's calling us to a standard that to the world is strange. But that's what he's calling us to. He's saying you'll know who you are. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. He continues in verse 11. Dear friends, I warn you. As temporary residents and foreigners, here's that idea of we're not of this world. This is just temporary. We're just passing through here. If you think this is the most important thing, you're missing the boat, he says. I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners, keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very soul. And that will, for every one of us, there will be things that are continually bombarding us, waging war, trying to get us to make the wrong choices, to pick the wrong thing, to do the wrong thing. And for many people, often that will be a very Christian decision. But they'll do something that makes Jesus look bad. And they'll do something that has eternal consequences for somebody else. And he says this in verse 12. Be careful to live properly. Live the right way among your unbelieving neighbors. Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to circle the word unbelieving neighbors. And if you circle the word nation in verse 9, I want you to draw a line from the word nation in verse 9 to unbelieving neighbors in verse 12 because it is the exact same word. It's just translated two different ways because of context. The word is the same. It's that ethnos where people join by, by practicing similar customs or, or common culture. And in verse 9, what he's saying when he talks about it and uses that word is, we're better together. We do this together. We're called together to do this. When he uses it in verse 12, it's about how we're called to live among other people around us. A group of people who are bound by common things, not the same things we are, but we're, we're to be among them, live the correct way among them. And in other words, what he's saying is we're not designed to be islands alone, ever. In terms of our walk with Jesus, we do this together. In terms of our walk for Jesus out there, we do this among other people who don't know Jesus. And he said, live properly 
among those people. And that's important because too many Christians don't want to be among those people because they're those people. And they want to take that step back and they want to keep them at arm's length. And he said, no. He said, those are the people you embrace. Those are the people we live among. We just want to live right among them. He said, then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, which they probably will at some point, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. It'll all be made right. He's saying it may be at the very end. But it'll all be made right. You see, what Peter here is doing, it's important for Peter to have all of these people around hear about Jesus and hear the good news and understand what they believe and what their faith is and get those people into the kingdom. But Peter is not trying to convince people to believe what we believe. That's not the goal. He's going to show them what we believe by how we behave. The most important thing will be to first show people how we behave before we tell them what we believe. He says, I'm not going to tell you about my faith first. I'm going to live my faith. Because if, here, this, I'm just going to say this out of love. If you're not living your faith, please don't tell other people about it. Because they need to see it before they hear it. They need to see that love. They need to see Jesus before they hear it. And too many people want to be on the defensive. When somebody says something about Christianity, when something is said about Jesus, they want to jump on the, on, on the, the defense and, oh, you know. You've heard this in sports, and, and it's extremely true in our setting here. The best defense is a good offense. And uh, uh, let me say it this way. Do you think that I am ever <coughs> criticized by people? If, if you don't know, you have no idea how often that happens and how I go through that in person, online, in thousands of different ways. Do you think our church is ever criticized? You have no idea how our church is criticized. But instead, this is a lesson that took me decades to learn. Instead of jumping to the defense, you know, we're not that bad. We're not a cult. I'm not that bad. You need to get to know me. Instead of jumping on the defense and getting involved in the arguments and getting it, here's what I've learned. The best defense is a good offense. And the best thing for me to do is to just live for Jesus. To lead the way by loving God and loving people. And I have learned the hard way over the decades that when something like that happens, I don't even answer. I don't have to answer. I just have to live correctly because we at Journey in Our Church are not called to be spiritual consumers, to just come in and hear. The church exists for the world. Let me say that again. The church exists for the world. That's why we're not going to have fundraisers here. I know a lot of people ask about fundraisers. You know how many fundraisers we've had here? Zero. Because here's how I view fundraisers. We are asking the world who needs Jesus to pay for us to do our thing. That's not how it works. They're not here for us. We're here for them. The church exists for the world. I would like nothing better than than us to just be known for what we're for instead of what we're against. 
Because too many Christians are only known for what they're against because that's all they're ever talking about is what they're against. How about this? Let's be known for being outrageously generous. Let's be known for being righteous. Let's be known for being loving under circumstances where nobody else could. That's strange. That's what we're called to. The next verse is another one that God spent some time teaching me about. In verse 15, it says this, It is God's will. Do you ever want to know what God's will is for your life? Right here. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. It's the way we live, not what we say. It's our honorable lives that silence foolish people who make accusations against us. It's not jumping in and saying, oh yeah, that's so true, you're bad too. It's not when somebody says something ignorant on Facebook and it offends you and you jump in and instantly start defending. You know what? God doesn't need defending. He's a lion. Alright? He doesn't need us to defend him. He needs us to live for him. And there are too many people that say, yes, I'm going to live for Jesus. And the only way that I've ever actually seen them live for Jesus is by what they post on social media. They'll post a verse. And it's, it's, there are times when I actually, I, I look at Facebook as little as possible. But I have to. And so occasionally I will do it. And there are times that I just laugh as I go through it. Somebody will post this thing about how we as Christians are called to this and we're supposed to do this together. And it's like, the person posting that, they don't go to church. They're not in a small group. They're doing nothing to obey Jesus, and they're really not living for it. They're just kind of the same as somebody who just says it, but doesn't live it. He says the way we live will silence those accusations. I don't have to defend myself. I don't have to defend Journey North Church. Journey North Church has given to this community since day one. We have helped people in so many different ways, tangible ways, that most people don't even hear about. We have, we have helped put roofs on people's houses. We have helped people with their cars. We have helped build ramps for people so that they can get into their house and out. We have helped finish how There are so many things that we as a church has done, but there are also so many things that individuals who are part of Journey North Church has done. Because they're just doing what's right. See, we don't do those kinds of things so that we can be recognized, so that you know we can straighten out people's thinking, or, or just because we want more people to come to Journey North Church. We do it because it's who we are. It's what we're called to be. And the fun thing is, when we do that, then you get more recognized, and it helps people's thinking straighten out, and, and more people come to Journey North Church and find Jesus as we do those things. But that's just what we do as Jesus followers. And Peter says, you know, hey, if you live honorable lives over time, you might just silence those people who make foolish accusations against you. And what you'll discover as you live honorably is it really won't matter whether they're silenced or not. And he goes on to say, say in verse 21, you know, want to know what you're called to do? You're thinking there's this calling? Here's what you're called to do. Verse 21. 
For God called you, put your name there. Okay? For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. It's easy to do good when everybody applauds you, and it doesn't require any suffering. He said, you are called to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. And he's going to use Jesus as the example here. But he says, do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. And remember the people he's writing to, they knew suffering. They knew suffering on a level that we don't. But we also, <clears throat> excuse me, we also get suffering. We understand suffering. And I understand it's on a different level, but that doesn't mean that it's not still painful when we suffer. Because when you decide to live boldly with the love of Jesus, not live boldly to offend as many people as you can with Jesus, Jesus and the cross does the offending. We do the loving boldly in Jesus' name. And if they get offended by the cross, that's their thing with Jesus, not with us. But I have seen very, very large numbers of people live boldly for Jesus and pay the price. Live boldly for Jesus and not get the job they wanted or not get the promotion they deserved because they were living boldly for Jesus with the love of Jesus. I have seen people, I have seen kids, I have seen adults get made fun of. By, by their, quote, friends and peers, because they are living boldly with the love of Jesus. I have seen people be the only one not invited to something in their little circle, simply because they were living the love of Jesus boldly. He says, do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He, that's Jesus, he is your example, and you must follow in his steps. So you're not looking to anybody else to see how you do this or why you do this. You're looking to Jesus. You want to know how to do good, even if it means suffering? Look at Jesus. <clears throat> when Jesus found people who were weak, he didn't lord it over them. He was gentle with them. When they were hurting and weak and struggling, he was gentle with them. When people didn't understand, he was patient with them. When he came upon people who were rejected by everybody else, he demonstrated love to them. When there were people who were doing what was wrong and sinning, Jesus, who is the judge, talked about forgiveness. See, he was all those things. What he was not was proud or arrogant or condescending or defensive or hateful. If, if, if you are any of those things, you're not being like the example that Jesus set. It's not about tooting our own horn. It's not about placing ourselves above others or telling things about ourselves so that we look better than everybody else. That's not what Jesus did. He tells us, and his words are pretty pointed. He tells us, here's what Jesus was like. He's your example. Here's what you should do. Next verse, verse 22. Jesus never sinned. This is a guy who walked with him his entire ministry. First one called, was with him, kind of fell away at the end, came back. You know, Peter, he's been there the whole time. He's seen Jesus. Here's his description of Jesus. He never sinned. Ever. Nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted. And he was not just insulted at, at the end of his life. 
all throughout his life, there were times when that was happening. And it says when he was insulted, he didn't retaliate. He didn't have to do the, the flaming stuff on social media, you know? He didn't threaten revenge when he suffered. He left, here, and here's the key. I absolutely love this line. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. If we could get that one line, it would change our lives as Christians. He always left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. You know what that means? I don't have to defend myself. Somebody says something bad about me, somebody says something you know, inaccurate about me or, or in a way that makes me look bad, I don't have to jump in and say, that's not me, you need to get to us. I don't have, you know what I need to say? Nothing. I just need to keep living the way Jesus wants me to live. And I don't have to worry about that because I have left my case in the hands of God and God always judges fairly. He personally, Jesus, personally, verse 24, carried our sins in his body on the cross. <coughs> so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. That's what it's all about. We're going to celebrate Easter in a few weeks. He carried our sins in his body on the cross. And because I accepted that eternal call to Christ, what I said was, Jesus, because of your death, I'm dying to me and living for you. And that's what Peter's saying here. But what he says next is even stranger than most of us can imagine, and it was certainly strange to them. Because we talked about normal a couple weeks ago. Normal was when somebody curses you, you curse, you curse them back. When somebody hates you, you hate them back. When somebody does something bad to you, you get revenge. That's normal. Here's the stranger calling that we, as followers of Jesus, are called to. Verse 9, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, and here's the way we're supposed to do it, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do. God has called each and every one of you to do that. To, when, when, when you're uh, insulted, don't reply with an insult. When, when evil is done to you, don't repay that with evil. Instead, pay that back with a blessing. That's what God's called you to do, and then he will grant you his blessing. And I'm far more concerned with getting his blessing than winning an argument. I don't need to convince somebody who's saying bad things about me to like me. I actually don't care if they don't like me, because I'm living for an audience of one, and that's Jesus. And what I've discovered is when I do what he did and I love other people and I bless people who are cursing me and I offer that to them and I genuinely love other people, God does amazing things not just in their life but in my life. Because we're called to go the extra mile. That's what Jesus said. They ask you for your shirt, give them your coat too. Even though they don't deserve it. He said, love your enemies, bless those who persecute you. That's a strange calling. But that's what Christians are called to do. In our family, um, Becca and Josh were up here today, two of my kids. Um, Becca, um, her, her husband Ben, is in the, the stages of becoming a doctor. He's in the, the residency thing. And um, he's in the, you know, the long hours. And, 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 and the doctors who are there 
we'll have him be like the doctor on call. So he might be at the hospital, he might actually be at home, but if something happens, he's going to get the call. Because he's, the one, he's also the doctor on call in our family. <laughs> I'm sure it's certainly like that. But when we have questions, we have somebody to ask. Um, here's what I want you to get. All those doctors, that are, they can't always be everywhere at one time. So Ben has to be everywhere at one time. And he's the doctor on call. You, if you've accepted that first call of Jesus, you are on call. You're not a doctor on call. Don't pretend to do that. Far more important, you're a pastor on call. Remember, when somebody asked me in church how many ministers we have at Journey North Church, I say, it's not two, three hundred. And they look at me like, what? It's like, yeah, yeah, I'm just one of them. You guys are the pastors on call. You are chosen by God, selected to be part of this eclectic family. You are royal priests being able to point people to God through Jesus. You are a holy nation. We do this together. You are God's very own possession, and you're called to do good. So, coming from one who is called, I'm a crossing guard, <laughs> you have permission to proceed. You have permission to move ahead with this and to be able to say, I'm on call. You find somebody in your life that God brings into your life who's down and depressed. Instead of pointing them to somebody else, you're on call. You're on call to help them. Somebody in your circle of influence is being bullied, you're on call. You need to do what's necessary to help them. Your neighbor can't mow their lawn for whatever reason and you have a lawnmower, guess what? You're on call. That's how we show the love of Jesus. Some family member, you know, they betray you. There's all kinds of issues there. You're on call to forgive because that's what we're called to do. Somebody feels left out. Instead of hoping that somebody comes alongside them, you're on call. You're on call to continue to live and love like Jesus. You're in Walmart and you're, or, or, or Chris Food or wherever you go. For, and, and the person in front of you, is buying their food and they come up, they got their wallet out and they come up short. And you know that you have a $20 bill in your pocket. Guess what? You're on call. And that may be the thing that changes that person's life because people need Jesus. And they're not going to get it by you correcting them about theology. They're going to get it by you being Jesus to them. So I want you to repeat after me. I'm on call. You ready? I'm on call. In fact, look at your neighbor and say, I'm on call. Now look to the other side of the person you ignored and say it to them. I'm on call. You know what this might mean? This might mean you don't get out of church as fast as you thought you might because God places somebody there that you need to love on and you're on call. And there's a question that's asked, there's a hurt, there's a something. And you're on call to love, to serve, to give, to be a blessing. Because when we accept that first call, that eternal call to Christ, God gives us eyes to see and ears to hear. And so you're on call because when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. 
and who you are is chosen by God. Select to be in his family. A royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession, called to do good. That's who we are. The world's going to look at that as strange and weird. I accept that calling. And I hope that you do too. I'd like you to bow your heads as we pray. Father, I know that this is a strange calling to people who are, who are not part of your circle. But my prayer is that they would accept that first calling if they're not a part of your circle. That they would accept that eternal calling to Christ and realize that just like when you called Peter that day walking down the beach, that you're calling to them, follow me. And that their response doesn't need to be, I don't know enough. I'm too messed up. I'm too this. I'm too that. I'm not enough this. That they would just simply drop it and follow you. That they would recognize that what you did on the cross was for them and accept that eternal call so that they can then accept that temporary call to whatever assignment it is you give them, but so that we can live that, that daily call in, in, this, in this dark world, that daily call to a, a strange standard, strange to that world, but so that we can show people Jesus. Father, help us to understand that we are on call 24-7. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the closing song.